How do you know you're up to date? When you follow EMS World, you answer that question with confidence. Because when we say EMS World, we mean the whole world of EMS. The remaining question for you is how will you stay up to date? In print, online, at EMS World Expo, the world's largest EMS-dedicated conference, and now in a podcast. The job is not a death sentence. It is a challenge to be overcome, and we are very good when we recognize hazards and we are empowered to protect ourselves against them. think our patients win when they are served by people who are happy and healthy and well, um, and they're able to provide better care and more patient-focused care. So I think there are wins all the way around when we address this issue. Welcome to EMS World Podcasts. I am Hillary Gates, Senior Editorial and Program Director for EMS World, and today I want to welcome our guests, Jane Bryce and Rhonda Kelly. We will be discussing the article from the February issue of EMS World magazine called Effects of an Unwell Workforce. It was authored by Jane Bryce and co-researchers. Today, we're going to ask Jane and Rhonda some questions about the article. Jane, can you please introduce yourself? I'm an emergency physician at the University of North Carolina. Uh, More importantly for this podcast, I'm an EMS physician and a former paramedic, having been in the field for 16 years as a paramedic before medical school. And I mean, I've been an emergency physician for, I don't know, 25 or so years, being a medical director and uh, working actively in the EMS field. Thanks, Jane. Rhonda, will you please introduce yourself? Thank you for having me join you today. My background's a little more random. I started in EMS back in 1996. I was trained as a wilderness EMT and served as a remote EMT on icebreakers in the Antarctic for four years. Returning to Colorado after that to get my quote-unquote adult job, I volunteered for a local ambulance company, worked as a career EMT for rural metro while I was testing for fire, then became a firefighter paramedic for 17 years. On the side, I picked up my RN and worked PRN as an ED and psych ED nurse. The last couple years of my career, I had the pleasure of serving as the health and safety officer for my department. That allowed me to take a broad view of overall wellness for my fellow firefighters. I developed a particular interest in the mental health component of it. And out of that, I had the opportunity with the University of Colorado's medical school, CU Anschutz, to create an an initiative called Responder Strong that was a collaboration between emergency responders across branches, law enforcement, fire, EMS, and dispatch, and the university and some of our other advocates to improve mental wellness supports for responders and their families. Through that portal, I was able to develop a relationship with Global Medical Response and now serve as their director of GMR Life, a program focused on overall wellness for their employees across the country. Jane, your study found that EMS providers are more overweight than the general population. They have potentially higher rates of hypertension than are realized, and they are binge drinking more than the general population. This is not good news, but I bet it shocks absolutely no one in EMS. How did your study come about? Can you talk about what the impetus for your study was and what are some of the findings that struck you? One of the impetuses for the study was that As an EMS medical director, 
and in talking to other EMS medical directors, we recognized that we had an unhealthy and unwell workforce and that the ramifications of that uh, were likely very much larger than any of us recognized or were able to put our hands around. But we thought that the first step in trying to address that problem was to quantify what we were talking about. Just how big was the problem that we thought was there um, and how extensive was it throughout the workforce. And so we did the study in order to generate some data and quantify the problem. I think it's really important to quantify what you're talking about because when you're going to talk to policymakers or EMS leaders or system directors, they need to understand what they're talking about and why it's so important and they need data in order to be able to make change. And so we wanted to contribute to that gap in data uh, by doing the study. Jane, you conducted this study by assessing and interviewing EMS providers who were delivering patients to an emergency department in North Carolina. How did the providers feel about participating in your study? Was there any pushback or were they enthusiastic? So great question. We did have some people refuse to participate in the study. For the most part, the people who refused to participate in the study were likely at the extremes of uh, the findings we had. So we had several providers who were um, extraordinarily overweight who refused to participate in our study. But for the most part, um, that was so that was a very small minority, but for the most part, uh, they were very eager to participate and to contribute to this body of knowledge and to understand for themselves what their own wellness looked like. As part of this study, we had participants um, stand on a scale, let us take their blood pressure, measure their height, do a bunch of stuff, but we created a feedback sheet for them that listed all of their metrics and provided them with focused information relevant to their issues that they could actually act on um, as they went about their daily business Um, in in trying to mitigate some of the risks that we identified in those individual participants. And they were glad to receive that information, which was very heartening because, you know, if you find a big problem and you want to move to address it, but no one wants to change, that makes it very difficult. But we found an openness and a willingness to participate and to change that was very heartening. Let's dive into some of the numbers of the study The study found surprisingly uh, high levels of overweight and obese EMS providers, 80%, which is significantly higher than the general population in the U.S. of 70%. 65% of your study participants had elevated blood pressure measurements and, as I mentioned before, um, admitted to heavy drinking or binge drinking at much higher rates. These are not comfortable statistics, and Rhonda, acknowledging them can be personally and professionally embarrassing perhaps. How do you suggest we push past this in order to address the problem? What are some of the solutions in addressing these problems, Rhonda? Well, first, I love that Jane and her group have not only quantified the data, establishing a baseline for the justification of funding and attention being paid to these issues. I think that's of tremendous benefit to us and it allows us to measure the efficacy of interventions that we take moving forward. But I also feel that her work is helping reduce some of the stigma, some of the shame, some of the sense of personal failing that EMS providers might have with, hey, why can't I just get it together? Why am I overweight? Why am I drinking so much? Why, uh, why, why, why? This 
allows us to quantify it and to normalize it. This is common. And now let's look for the causative factors. And I very much believe the causative factors are occupational in nature. One of the great things I love in Jane's article is she points out at the beginning that one of the barriers is the lack of knowledge about how to care for ourselves while working in the EMS world. A lot of what we're seeing, she highlighted that many EMS providers are meeting the CDC's base guidelines for physical activity, yet we're still seeing elevated blood pressure, elevated cholesterol, elevated body mass. You and I have spoken, and I'm sure Jane's up to speed on all of this, about the sedentary science. The research that comes particularly out of the University of New Mexico and Len Kravitz's group about what's sitting for long periods of time does to our bodies. We know that after 30 minutes of sitting, our metabolic rate can drop by as much as 90%. We know levels of good cholesterol drop, uh, inflammatory markers increase, insulin resistance increases, and that the benefits of exercise are different than the detriments of prolonged sitting. So this is why it doesn't matter if we go out and we exercise hard for an hour, it doesn't absolve us of the the negative effects that sitting for eight hours after that will. The bright side in the sedentary science is we don't have to work out hard for an hour to disrupt the effects of prolonged periods of sitting. We can do it with fidgeting. We can do it with just standing up, moving around so that we not only decrease our overall time sitting during a shift or during the rest of our life, but we break the times that we are sitting into smaller and smaller chunks. We can reverse those adverse metabolic effects. And I think that's one of the big messages we need to really get out to EMS personnel So instead of feeling hopeless, feeling like I can't make it to the gym for an hour, so I'm screwed, I'm just going to have to sit here and suffer the effects of ill health. No, 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 no. They're small little, and I love the term hacks. They're small hacks you can do to improve the overall quality of your health and your life throughout the course of your shift. So we know that the life of a shift worker is difficult in that we don't get enough sleep and our sleep schedule is disrupted. We know that In other studies, it has been found that those working the night shift especially were more adversely affected and, in fact, were more overweight than day shift workers. Jane, can you address why this might be? When you disrupt your circadian rhythm in working nights, um, that it has unwanted effects on you and your family um, and the rest of your life. It's not just about being up all night. It's about the overflow effects that occur uh, with your family and with your ability to manage during the day, to manage your sleep, to take care of your kids. Um, And it adds a significant amount over and above the circadian rhythm effect. It adds a significant amount of stress um, to your life. I do, however, think that we will never have an EMS workforce that doesn't work overnights. And I think that we have to recognize that that's part of the job and that it's not the job's fault um, that we find ourselves in this situation. Um, To me, it's really important that we each take personal responsibility for ourselves and that we explore and think about ways to mitigate that stress and that effect on our circadian rhythms. And we have to personally do that. We have to be personally responsible for our own wellness and uh, if we're going to continue in this workforce and in this job. The study notes that the ragged schedule and the poor sleep hygiene and the high stress um, also are uh, contributed to obesity. And Rhonda, can you talk a little bit about the physiology of those things and how they affect our health? Absolutely. And I appreciate Jane's point that 
it is a matter of personal responsibility. The job is not a death sentence. It is a challenge to be overcome. And we're very good when we recognize hazards and we are empowered to protect ourselves against them uh, about doing so. Awareness is one of the big things and being aware that the impacts of the disruption of circadian rhythm, they significantly impact our hormonal system. And the hormones include everything from insulin secretion, steroid production, to melatonin production. While we have this disruption that might be unavoidable in our sleep patterns, there are ways we can improve our sleep hygiene to increase the quality of the sleep when we do get it. And the personal recognition that there are many domains of wellness, that while we have this challenge in the sleep world, it just narrows our latitude to be to perform in unhealthy ways in the other domains, whether that's nutrition, hydration, movement, that we can start to make up for some of that negative impact by embracing and maintaining positive habits in the rest of our life. One of those big habits in particular, and you you hit the nail on the head, is stress management. We hear consistently from responders across branches that the top three challenges they report personally are financial, stress management, and relational. And Jane alluded to that with the impact of the family on shift work. Not only are we impacted by the lack of sleep, but the way we are able or not able to show up and perform with our families subsequently impacts them. I think that targeting stress management training for responders and breaking it down into easy to understand and easy to implement practices, whether it is food prep and having healthy snacks, not having to go through the drive through line, not missing meals and then being ravenous and eating whatever's in sight during a shift. Hydration. Lots of times when we're thirsty, we think we're hungry. So we turn to food when what we really need is, is water or another healthy beverage. Movement, talking about the sedentary science again, when we're posting, just being able to get out of the ambulance, to stretch, to move around, just to walk around, to break up that interval of sitting in the ambulance can have tremendous positive health benefits for us. Stretching before bed, releasing some of the muscle tension, sending the signal to our brain that, oh, it's time, we we can calm down, we're not in a stress state anymore, and we can improve our sleep. Talking about mindfulness breaks, and I know lots of times people think, well, a mindfulness break is an hour for yoga, or it's sitting and meditating with candles and with incense. No, no, no. There's simple little things that we can incorporate into our day, just even standing outside, closing our eyes and feeling the sun on our face, feeling our footsteps hit the ground. There are lots of ways that we can draw ourselves back to our body, trigger our parasympathetic nervous system, and start to calm the body. And all of these little pieces, which are easy to integrate, can ultimately have a significant overall impact on our our well-being. Great suggestions. Rhonda, I find it striking that the nation's largest EMS provider, GMR, also known as AMR, has created your position. You called it head of GMR life. To your knowledge, are there other EMS agencies or fire departments doing similar things with their employees? And um, why do you think this position was created? And talk a little bit about your first month or so in the job. It's been just over a month now, so it's been a a steep learning curve, which has been fantastic. I first came into contact with Global Medical Response through my work with Responder Strong. Almost immediately, I was struck by the sincerity of GMR's leadership and their sincere concern for the well-being of their employees. We had several lengthy discussions about the, the way that EMS has not been as well supported as other branches, in particular law enforcement and fire. For years, I've seen law enforcement and fire really stepping up, trying to assess the problem, measure it, and create effective interventions. 
one of the things that my early discussions with GMR included were talks about how EMS has been so fractured in the U.S. We've got the large volunteer component. We have municipalities. We have the privates. The privates have traditionally had very high turnover rates of employees through burnout and through other health issues with an average career being anywhere from two and a half to five years in length. We talked about ways to mitigate that. And one of the things I really appreciated about GMR's leadership is they recognize they have essentially 38,000 personnel throughout the country. They have the awareness and they have the reach and they have the desire to impact not only their employees, but to help set a national standard for how other EMS agencies can better support their personnel in overall well-being, but particularly looking at it in a triage fashion in supporting their mental health. We're all familiar with the horrible statistics around suicidality. And we also know that there is a wide spectrum of suffering from the healthy EMS provider to somebody who is contemplating taking their own life, that there is a lot of room there that's unfortunately taken up with depression, with anxiety, with substance abuse, with other unhealthy choices. And I firmly believe and have found that GMR's leadership also agrees that when the single greatest exposure of our careers is the intense trauma and suffering of other people in the complete absence of any preparation, how to deal with that, we will default to the numbing mechanisms, the coping mechanisms that are readily accessible, whether that's alcohol or the narc box or eating or excessive shopping, whatever it is. But we can mitigate those behaviors if we teach people up front, hey, this is a big hazard and this is how you protect yourself from those. This is how you manage that level of stress so that you are having a, a healthier life overall. Over the past month, I have continued to be struck by the commitment that GMR is showing to this, not only in creating my position, but in committing to creating a program called GMR Life, which is focused on overall well-being, health, wellness, and resiliency, and to sharing that with other organizations so that we can help not only their personnel, our personnel, but other EMS workers across the country. Jane, going back to the causative effects and um, what's happening in the workforce, I think a lot about the kind of chicken or the egg argument. Could we claim, based on what you found in your study, that the circumstances of the job are part of the cause of these unwell effects on the workforce? Or is it possible also that EMS providers are entering the field with these problems already existing? Or is this a moot point? Does this even matter? How would you respond to that? The study was an observational cross-sectional study for which no cause or effect can be attributed. I can't know from this study whether um, the job caused the problem or the providers came in unwell and um, EMS supervisors just seem to hire unwell people. It's hard to, you can't know that from this study. The second thing answer though is that I don't think it really matters at all. It is what it is. And this is not strictly applicable to EMS. This is true for emergency departments, both the nurses, physicians, and other providers who work there. This is true for many portions of the fire service. Um, this is true for many portions of law enforcement. I think it just doesn't matter whether it was a chicken or egg thing and what caused what. We have an unhealthy and unwell workforce that we need to work with to help them mitigate 
these risk factors and these um, health issues. This has many, many, many benefits. One party that benefits is the provider themselves. They are now cognizant of their health. They're paying attention to their health. They're empowered to take care of themselves and they become healthier humans. There's a ripple effect from that in that their families um, then see a healthier member of the family and become more healthy themselves. So there's one win. Um, the second win is that the EMS industry as a whole wins because when you're unhealthy and unwell, you're out of work more often than others. Your career longevity is shorter than others. And so the health, the EMS industry as a whole wins. I think our patients win when they are served by people who are happy and healthy and well um, and they're able to provide better care and more patient-focused care. So I think there are wins all the way around when we address this issue. Why it happened or who's at fault, who cares? Who cares? Let's just fix it. I love it. Jane, if you got to get the ear of uh, the, the leaders in EMS and the chiefs and the safety officers and the folks who are looking after their employees' health, what would you say to them? What suggestions would you give to them to tackle this issue? Individual people need to be empowered. I think Rhonda and I have both said a couple times that people need to be personally responsible for their health and wellness. This isn't that someone needs to stand over you and force you to do 10 sit-ups and 10 push-ups. I think each individual provider needs to be personally responsible. But in order to be personally responsible for their own health, they need to have knowledge. And Rhonda alluded to this a few minutes ago. We need to educate our workforce about the job they are entering or the career they have chosen so that they understand not only how to restart a heart and stop bleeding, but how to take care of themselves and their longevity so that they can continue to do the work they love. So number one, I would say we need to educate and empower our employees. Number two, I don't think you have to install a gym in every EMS station. I think there, as again, Rhonda alluded to, very simple things we can do um, to help our EMS providers stay well. We can help them with uh, short walking paths or opportunities for them to do other things in the station that get them up and out of the chair and from in front of the TV. Taking the snack machine out of the station might be a good idea. So th there are some very simple things that EMS leaders can do to help their providers, but there has to be a focus on it. Otherwise, it's too easy to slip back into old habits and old um, patterns. Rhonda, what would you say to EMS agency leadership and what practical right now, right after this podcast is over suggestions would you give to them? I absolutely agree with everything that Jane just said. And I love her emphasis on we're trying to be better humans. We're focusing on the human behind the uniform. And I think as she alluded to with our training, we have taught people all of these skills that are essential for their performance, their success in their job but we have assumed that they just know how to take care of themselves and that they'll do that without ever having taught them. And where in life do we ever get taught those skills? I really think that the big message we can send to leadership is exactly what Jane said is we need to better educate our personnel. Our personnel are here because they want to help others. Bottom line, we have to teach them to value helping themselves also and make it accessible. I know that there are a variety of work environments across the U S and are actually across the world with EMS there are crews who work overnight and who post out of their vehicle all night. They have different challenges. 
than those who are station-based and maybe working 24-hour shifts. But I think that if we approach with simple life hacks, for, for lack of a better term, things that can be incorporated into a, a provider's shift in life, regardless what their occupational setting is, we can empower them to make changes from which they feel positive benefits, which then becomes an intrinsic motivation to continue those behaviors and helps to become a barrier against sliding back into old habits, making good foods easy to access, working with hospitals to stock the EMS break rooms, not with Red Bull and energy drinks that are going to further tax the adrenal system, but healthy beverages, healthy food choices, so that when the providers come in starving, haven't had anything to eat, they get healthy options. They can grab that and be more appropriately fueled for the shift. So I think education is the big thing. And then working to make those choices easier, both through understanding and through ease of implementation with accessibility. It was just terrific talking to both of you. Jane Bryce, thank you for your long career and your important work in EMS. I really enjoyed having you on the podcast, Jane. It was delightful. Thank you so much for having me. This is a super important topic and I'm delighted to have some attention attracted to it. And Rhonda Kelly, good luck in your new role um, affecting the lives of 38,000 people. No pressure. Thanks for being on the (laughs) podcast today. Thank you so much for the invite. I enjoyed it. You can check out more of this topic on emsworld.com by searching for Jane Bryce's article, Effects of an Unwell Workforce. It was in the February issue of the EMS World magazine. And we invite you to like the podcast and come to EMS World Expo from September 14th to the 18th in Las Vegas, Nevada. Thanks again, you guys. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this article and hundreds more like it at emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And see you in Vegas, September 14th through the 18th, 2020 at EMS World Expo.